This episode of The Forecast is sponsored by Clinic Drug, located in Morganton, North Carolina, and serving the surrounding community since 1938. Clinic Drug has a large selection of Nature's Bounty, Vitamins, Briar Lane Home and Garden Flags, Russell Stover's Candies, and Thai Stuffed Animals. Clinic Drug offers free delivery and 24-7 unparalleled service. Clinic Drug turns no patient away. For more information, call them at 828-584-0741. Or you can find them on Facebook or go to their website, www.clinicdrug.com. Your health is our priority at Clinic Drug. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to make you laugh and learn and and win and grow your golf IQ. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. You can find us on TheMesh.tv and all your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Be sure to check out all the other shows on TheMesh.tv, and they're all produced here in Western North Carolina. On today's episode, I'm joined by a really good buddy of mine. Rob Gallagher is with uh, Club Champion Golf, uh, one of the most, uh, I guess you could say, high-end club fitting uh, companies in the world right now and growing like like fires in California, unfortunately. They're growing leaps and bounds, and uh, Rob is, is, a, um, is a very very knowledgeable guy when it comes to club fitting. So we're going to have a great conversation today with Rob and learn more about how our golf clubs can be better fit to suit uh, suit our game. And uh, Rob, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking time out this morning, man. I know you're busy with all that's going on in, in the uh, club champion golf world. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Well, we're, uh, we're speaking uh, about club fitting today, and I know you and I go way back, Rob. I think we met when I was over at Rock Barn and uh, – you were with a different company doing some very high-end fitting. Uh, have you always been into club fitting as per se, or how, how did you kind of go from just being a golfer and, and loving the game into this expert field of club fitting that you're in? Um, that's a good question. You know, I, I think um, for me, whenever I, I played collegiately um, from 2005 to 2009, and that was not a fantastic year to graduate, um, similar to this year. Um, and you know, for me, I, I just knew golf. I played, you know, like I said, played division one golf and, um, immediately had the opportunity to go work at a small kind of family owned custom fitting studio, uh, right outside of New York city and had the, the, the cool ability to work with TrackMan. um, to work with SST peering, which is, you know, a, a kind of a way to make sure that the shafts are performing to their peak potential, um, to learn how to build golf clubs. And that was really, really cool. And for me, it was just going to be kind of a quick place to, to work for a little while, make some ends meet before I could get a big boy job and, um, you know, go work in the real world as they say, I guess. Right. And, yeah turns out I loved it and was really good at it. Um, and so, you know, after a year of being able to learn how to build golf clubs, um, which I think was an interesting thing that my boss at the time kind of made me do. He, I, I basically shadowed him for a year on TrackMan and watched him fit and, and learned what he was doing. 
but I had to build the golf clubs and learn how they went together um, for about a year before he let me start fitting. And then when I did, it was kind of uh, a lot easier to be able to explain some different variables about why clubs do what they do based on how they get built. Um, but one of those things for me was I, you know, just like everybody else decided that, Hey, I'm going to, you know, do some lessons. And I learned real quick, Alan, I I don't have the patience to do what you do. Um, I I can make somebody's golf game better real quickly with, with a golf club, but I can't do it doing a lesson. It just doesn't work for me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I tell you, it's a team, it's a team effort, really. I mean, a golf instructor needs to have a good club fitter. Uh, at their right hand, you know, much like yourself, and I can call upon because uh, as players try to play this game and navigate the variables, there are so many ways they can be helped through through club fitting. I know I have a philosophy myself as an instructor. I want to help my player in a holistic way, and that, that does include club fitting. And um, I've done some of it myself. I have my own limitations where that, that's concerned, so to speak, because I just don't have what you have at your disposal. I mean, it at your facility, you have basically every club head that's a current model, every shaft that a player needs to at least have access to uh, examine and try, and, and the knowledge to put those components together in the best possible way. So let's let's talk a little bit about what you offer there at your facilities and, and uh, let, the, let the listeners know where, where to find you for sure. Yeah, so Club Champion is um, – with you know, we're the number one fitter out there. And that is, you know, a lot to do with how many demos that we have, as well as how many locations that we have. Um, You know, going back to a little bit of the history of it, whenever I started with Club Champion, this was in 2016. um, We had at that point, 14 stores. And the plan was to get to 20. uh, And just kind of pause and see how the growth of the company was going. And, um, they brought me on board uh, to run the Charlotte location. And when we opened up, Charlotte was the 18th location. Um, and they considered Charlotte a secondary market. And it was fantastic. Um, golfers, you know, in North Carolina have not seen um, what we do um, before, I think, at the high level that we do it. And they really took to it. And so after the first two months, we were booked out for the next three and uh, at that point, our company said, you know what, pedal to the floor, let's let's do this thing and let's grow. And so now we are at 74 locations nationwide. And I think by the end of this year, we're hoping to get to about 80. So even with COVID, we're still planning on growing. So it's it's been a fantastic uh, journey um, with Club Champion. But for us, everything is, is a la carte. Like Alan said, you know, we've got um, heads, we've got shafts. Um, and when I say we got heads and shafts, when I started, I think we had 30,000 combinations. And over the last few years, you know, the president of our company who kind of runs the fitting side of it has been slowly, you know, creeping a few more shafts and a few more brands of heads and stuff in there. So uh, we just did the math again recently. And now we could actually say we've got over 45,000 different combinations of golf clubs to be able to fit with. So um I've got a bunch of staff bags full of full of full of shafts. I've got a wall, uh, two or three walls full of shafts to be able to play around with and, and work with. And the the kind of coolest thing about what we do at Club Champion is we're totally brand agnostic. Um, I'm not on staff with anybody. I've got no allegiance to any brand. My goal is to get that golfer to uh, 
play whatever works and, and play better. Right. So, um, you know, I think it's probably the same way with teachers as well. You know, the, the teachers that maybe sometimes subscribe to just one way of teaching, right. You know, stack and tilt, and that's all they want to teach. They're only going to be successful with some students that can swing that way, you know? And so if you can be malleable and and look at different brands and things like that, you're going to have a better opportunity for success. Well, and it's also apparent that, you know, knowing you as I do, it's, it's apparent that your company really values the quality of people and skills and knowledge within the staff members that they're putting in their stores. So, you know, you could fill a big building full of a bunch of equipment and still not have a great club fitting you know, operation. Unlike, you know, you know, club champion where you actually have uh, intelligent, educated, experienced fitters, you know, dealing with it because that's, that's the real art right there is putting the shaft and the head together correctly for that individuals in front of you, having the diagnostic equipment. I mean, you guys have track man bays in your facility. I know in Charlotte, I'm pretty sure that's, you know, um, you know, company wide, you have the quality launch monitor measurement devices to kind of give, give you the data you need, you know, to do a good job and, and the knowledge on top of it. So that's powerful combination that they've assembled there for sure. And, it, you know, it, on the instructor side, you know, we always want to help our players. And, it, you know, it's, I was talking to someone the other day, and it's just difficult to get golfers to take lessons. A very small number of, of people, you know, want to be helped in that way. But they, they always tell me about the new driver they just bought or the new wedge or the new putter, <laughs> and maybe not as much putter. <laughs> Got to twist their arm to spend a couple hundred bucks on a good putter. But the idea is that they're, they're really quick to buy a club. And what I want to warn them of is buying a club that's just ill-suited for them because a lot of times that's what I'm finding when a student comes to me. So let's talk about the nuts and bolts of it and maybe give, give us some examples of the things, the variables, if you will, of what you're looking at when you see a player and how you get them fitted. Yeah, I mean, you know, depends on who you talk to. Right. You know, I, I had a conversation with, I think the president of golf pride and he's like, you know, the, the grip is the most important part of the club. Okay. I get it. That's what you're holding on to. Right. But I think you talk to a shaft manufacturer, they're going to say the shaft, you talk to, you know, head manufacturer, they're going to say the head for us. you got to see how all those variables work in conjunction with one another. Um, and so, Using those tools that you mentioned before, using TrackMan, using Sam Putlab, we want to get validation on all of that. Um, and so for me, what we do when we get you into the studio is we're going to have you hit. Um, we're going to have you hit a few shots with what you got. And the nice thing about for me doing it indoors is that we're removing a ton of different variables. We're removing the the humidity. We're mu- removing the temperature, the the you know, grass on the driving range, right? Um, everything's the same from shot to shot. Um, and so we're kind of fitting you in a vacuum. So apples to apples, we're going to see what does your driver do? And then once we are able to combine different heads, different shafts, figure out what is this driver going to be able to, to give you. And then at that point, the unfortunate part is how much does that cost? Right. And, and where do we go from there? But, um, you know, hitting on your point, I agree with you. I think, um, I think I've seen over the years that people will continuously just buy new product, trying to find it. Mm-hmm. And they, they look at it as an investment, but they'll play that club for two weeks and they never got fitted for it. And then they're like, Oh man, I'm going to go trade it in online. Yeah. Um, and I've heard the thing before that's like, man, you know, that aftermarket shaft is pretty expensive. And I get that, 
but I've had the same aftermarket shaft in three different driver heads over the last 10 years. So for me, it was an investment because I know that it worked. Mm -hmm. And so when, when players come in, we're going to be able to have that information. Um, I had a gentleman that came in the other day. I fit him back in 2017 when we first opened. I think I got him into the original Epic uh, driver. Um, and uh, we went through it. I couldn't beat it. I mean, this is three years later, three years newer technology. I still couldn't beat what he had gotten fitted into three years before. Yeah. And so at that point, it's like, you know, kind of paid for itself a little bit. He was that guy that continued to buy new drivers over and over and over again. So for me, it's not about trying to get sales all the time. Um, it's about trying to make that golfer better. And I think that's sometimes what I like to get out there to that to, to the general public is I'm not trying to just sell you product. I want to make sure you play better. And if that means that you keep what you got, then you keep what you got. Yeah, that, that's that's the reason they should come to you. I mean, uh, I've got a little bit of club fitting you know, philosophy, I guess, if you will, as a coach. And I'd be interested to hear, obviously, your opinion on this this approach. There's, I think there's generically two ways you might find the club fitter go. And say he gets a golfer to do a club fitting, and this golfer is a high handicapper in your in your interview process, you find that they're really not going to practice a whole lot. They're not taking lessons. They just play recreational once a month with their friends, whatever. And, and you know, you might take the approach, okay, this, this fellow swings the way he swings. He's not going to change. And I'm going to mm -hmm. make this golf club perform as best as I can as the fitter to help this, this golfer out. And he may steepen that shaft severely and he's fighting a slice and you're going to put that club as upright as you need to put it. And, and boom, he's three or four degrees upright or more, and he's hitting better golf shots with that motion that you wouldn't necessarily teach anyone. And then the other approach would be this this individual wants to get better. They really want to progress, and they've invested in lessons. They've invested in things that are going to help them make them better as well. And, and the fitting process may go different there. For me, I would think, hey, I want to get this club in the line that gets this golfer in the best posture for their height and arm length, you know, what's the best posture for this golfer to move correctly, balance correctly, and make a repeating golf swing with power. And uh, I don't want that club in a position that forces them out of posture, so to speak. So tell me your thoughts on that. Is that is that similar to how you think, or, is, or am I way off base in that thinking? No, I mean, it's funny. I asked that question. Um, so when we interview a player, we're going to talk about kind of what they're shooting. And for me, it depends, right? You know, if I've got a guy that he's, you know, I'm a three handicap, he's already kind of at that level. So I'm just going to fit him. Maybe he wants to get better, but those incremental changes in his swing, and maybe I'm off base on this one, but I don't feel like those incremental changes are going to change that club up drastically. Right. right. Um, however, you get a guy that shoots mid to high eighties he does some a, a few little things with his swing and he might be shooting low 80s, maybe breaking 80 at that point. So for me, I ask him maybe a little differently than how you just explained it. I go, look, are you the type of guy that just wants to go out and have some beers with his buddy on the weekend and have fun? Or are you wanting to go to the range two days a week and play on the weekends and have fun, but you want to bring that handicap way down? And that answer sometimes to me, Alan, doesn't even necessarily just dictate lie angle or uh, just those smaller things like that. And to me, that's kind of a, a more of a nitpicky thing. 
Um, but it'll dictate to me like, okay, maybe they're on the bubble of reg and stiff. Maybe I'll give them the little bit stiffer shaft. Maybe they're on the bubble of a quote unquote game improvement head, or they could go into a P790 or an Apex CF19 from Callaway, you know, something that's maybe a little bit outside their comfort zone. It still works, but it would be something that they're going to appreciate in two years or three years versus looking down at, um, you know, a giant Maverick, you know, game improvement oversized head going, man, this thing really worked at my fitting, but now I've gotten so much better. I got to go buy a new set of irons. Yeah. Right. So that that's my mindset is like, what can I get you into that works, but you can still grow into um, for that type of player. And the same thing can be said for juniors too. Right. Sometimes when I fit juniors, I'll, I'll even tell their parents like, Hey, I'm going to add a half inch to this thing because mm-hmm. they're going to grow. And, you know, let's, let's see how long that lasts us versus the other way around um, of getting it perfectly fit. And then you've got to come see me in three more months. Yeah. They're growing so fast. I know I, I deal with that a lot too, with, with juniors and the parents, they want to buy a set of golf clubs, sometimes two or three sizes too big for that, that very reason. Now, and as a coach, I see some, some significant potential harm to their long-term development. If you go way too big, I, I totally get, you know, a little bit bigger. If I can get a youngster to have a club that's just, just a little bit big, I can probably deal with that and keep them in good posture. But these, these parents that buy an adult driver for their, their 10 year old, um, it, it's just, it's a struggle a lot of times to get them in good posture and get them to actually swing the club with some control and balance without the club swinging them, you know, so we, we have to walk that fine line to help keep that kid successful. Now he might hit the, the longer club farther when he hits that one out of 50 balls um, for sure. Um, yeah. But it's difficult for them to deliver the sweet spot consistently with it, you know, kind of swinging them. So yeah, I get that. So yeah. here's a good question for you, Alan, because I, 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 I talk about this a little bit to some of my players and you got a fitter on here, you got a, a teacher on here. So, I kind of say, look, it, it kind of is the chicken or the egg. Let's say a person is pretty new to the game and they've got some hand-me-down irons that are just men's standard, right? Mm-hmm. Are you more of the mindset that, hey, we need to come get some lessons first and, and we'll work on it and then we can go get fitted? Or are we going, you know what, we need to at least get you into the length and, and maybe lie angle and shaft flex and stuff like that. You should get fitted before we come do lessons. Well, well, I'm like you, I realize that the proper fitted golf club is going to help the golfer. So if they have a club that's way out of bounds, so to speak, in terms of fit for them, I would certainly encourage them to get a better, a better fit golf club, um, to take up the game and enjoy it. I mean, certainly if they're in the realm of, of reasonable fit, um, it would just be a topic of conversation and say, Hey, you know, the club's a little heavy for you uh, or the club's yeah. flex is a little, a little soft for you. Um, these are going to be the, the things that this club tends to do because it's a little soft. You're going to have a lot less control of, of your direction of shots. You know, when this club's flexing, like it is, it's going to be tougher for you. You're probably not going to develop full club head speed. You'll, you'll instinctively, slow down trying to keep this club from whipping all over the place and try to make contact, you know, so it's going to affect the way a golfer swings if there's so fitting issues. And certainly um, a lot of times budget is a consideration. So the student just 
Hey man, I just, I scraped up 200 bucks. This is all I could do, you know? And so yeah. that's what you're working with, but yeah, it's a definite, it depends situation, but it's a topic that has to be discussed as a coach. I want them to know, Hey, this club doesn't suit you perfectly. Maybe we can work with it for now, but I want you to be aware of it so that uh, it doesn't frustrate you when you struggle hitting a golf shot. And it's partly, you know, responsible for this club, not performing the way it should for you. Sure. Yeah. So that's, and I that's think, you know, going into some of, some of that, one of those, one of the things that I like to make sure that people understand when it comes to the fitting side of it, um, for what we're going to do, um, is that it's not just looking at the length and the lie angle of the golf club. Um, right. when you come into club champion, we're going to see what you're doing with what you have. And there are from an equipment standpoint, shafts are going to range anywhere from 40 grams all the way to 130 grams or 132 grams is the heaviest shaft that I have. Right. Mm -hmm. So to, to think that the golf club that you have in your hand is going to be absolutely perfect for you is a little naive. Um, and very rarely, I would say to almost never have I had someone walk in the door and me go, dude, this thing is absolutely perfect for you. We just need to nip off a half inch and change that lie angle one degree. It, right. it virtually never happens, right? right. That's so, not where big changes um, happen, yeah. No, no, absolutely not, you know? And and big changes, the higher the handicap, this is the one thing I, I love. I love getting higher handicap players in. Mm -hmm. um, I had a higher handicap player that came in on Friday, and he goes, I, I really just feel like I need a new driver. He hit his driver, I think the launch was 10 degrees, and he hit up on it four degrees, Alan. He had like 1,600 spin. Wow. And he flew that golf ball 165 yards. We got him into a slightly lighter golf shaft in a 10.5 degree head, and he was swinging at 10 miles an hour faster by the end of it and was flying at 230 at the end of it. And I was like, this is the greatest, you know, jump in distance that I've ever had. Yeah. I took pictures of it. I was so happy. Um, and then you get tour players, you know, and they pick up seven yards and, and they're like, man, this is awesome. So oh, yeah. it, it's sometimes you get a better player and the, the gains are, are marginal. And to me, that's not as quite as fun as when I get a higher handicap player and we see these, you know, 80 yard distance gains. Yeah. Well, I know for me, I, years ago, I used to have a little retail store in Charlotte and I got into the club building aspects of things a little bit at that time. And it was fascinating to me to see how a stock graphite shaft from a major manufacturer could have so many um, slight differences from one club to the next, even if it was marked as the same shaft and flex. For instance, I had mm -hmm. a, a golfer come in and bought a driver. I won't mention the name of the company because it's probably across the board at this time in, in the 90s uh, with graphite shafts that were stock in drivers. But uh, he really enjoyed this driver. He hit it so well. He said, man, I, I love this thing. I'm hitting this thing so good. I think I want to buy the three wood and the five wood to match this driver. So, you know, logic would say you'd go over and you'd find the exact same flex that his driver was and you'd purchase the three wood and the five wood and you're good to go. Well. That's what he did. Uh, he came back weeks later. He said, man, I'm, I'm just not hitting this three wood and five wood. I've got a lot of 
a lot of hook on the ball with these fairway woods, but I'm still hitting my driver good. Can you can you come and take a look at me? So back in the day before launch monitors were the norm, I had nothing but cameras and my eye to watch what he was doing and kind of look. Things looked pretty good for me with his setup and with his with his path and face. What I could tell at that time, I could not put a finger on why he was hooking the ball more yeah. with three wood and five wood. So. I go back to my golf shop where the only technology I had really back then was a swing weight scale and a frequency analyzation tool um, that would, would measure the frequency of a shaft. So I said, well, let's measure what I can measure. So I measured frequency. Well, the driver was a, I believe it was a firm flex, and it was about 256 CPMs. Uh, the three wood was about 249 and the five wood was about 251 or two. It was like, wait a minute, I'm not a rocket scientist, but that doesn't seem right. seems like the shorter mm -hmm. shaft would have a higher frequency than the longer shaft if they were the same flex property. Uh, it so should. I called the manufacturer and sure enough, they said, well, here's the deal. We don't use frequency measurements on our shafts when we're assembling golf clubs. We just kind of take them from a barrel and assemble the club and ship them out, and that's how they go. And if you use frequency, you're gonna, they're going to measure all over the place. I just thought that was an interesting statement from a manufacturer. And this was one of the top manufacturers of the time um, you know, that said that to me. So what we ended up doing, knowing what I knew, I said, well, let's experiment. Let's try to get the frequency higher on the three wood than the driver. And let's tip trim this thing until we get to a point where there's a space between 256 for the driver. We're trying to get to about 260, maybe 261 or two for the three wood, and then 265, six or seven for the five wood and see what we got. So that's what we did. We tip trim both the fairway woods, but extended them back to that length and he came back, he said, whatever you did, fixed it. He said, I, I yeah. hit him straighter. I just thought that was an interesting story. And for me, again, there's just another, that's just another variable that you have to be aware of when you just buy a club off the rack that you might be, you know, uh, not getting what you think you're getting. Well, you know, from a, I, I had the ability to go visit one of the shaft manufacturers out in California last year. And I, I, you know, you know me, Alan, I've never been one to kind of shy away from asking somebody the question that makes them a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I kind of talked about that a little bit and was asking them about the stock shafts and things. And, um, you know, obviously from them, they're like, well, no, it's still really great stuff. You know, it's what we send out there. But at the end of the day, you know, it's all about margin. It's about profit. These are publicly traded companies, you know, for the most part, when you're talking tailor-mades and Callaways, and they've got a responsibility to their shareholders to, to show profit. Sure. And so, um, you know, when they're buying the shafts and when they're buying the grips, the goal is to buy them as inexpensively as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And when you see, um, the, the best example right now is the tailor-made sim. Uh, the Ventus shaft that's in it. The Ventus um, shaft with Fujikura has been one of the best played shafts or the, the most played shafts on tour last year. Um, we got that one in. I've currently got one in my driver. We got that in um, maybe a year and a half ago at this point. And that's been our number one selling shaft. And 
for me to say that it's a number one is pretty hard because we try to do everything as brand agnostic as we can. Um, it has a technology called VelaCore in the tip section. It's a different fiber that they're able to wind into and, and, and roll into the tip section of that graphite shaft that keeps it very, very stable. And so what I've seen is very great or, or, or fantastic distance as well as well as, as being a very, very accurate shaft. Um, the Ventus that goes into the stock driver from TaylorMade does not have VelaCore. Um, it's painted very similarly. And a lot of people think that it's, you know, the real thing. The real thing is a $400 shaft. Right. Um, it, it's expensive, but it performs very well. The shaft that goes into, you know, the, the TaylorMade product, if it was a $400 shaft, that driver would not sell for $500. There's just mm-hmm. no way it could, right? So um, they want to make it seem like they're adding value with that shaft sometimes, but really they're buying that shaft for two, three bucks. And, and it's just, it's kind of a watered down version painted similarly. And so, yeah, yeah that you're, you're going to get a lot of inconsistencies with stock shafts for sure. Yeah, even even back then, I was getting a box of maybe fifty shafts. If I got a box of fifty iron shafts, maybe a very popular iron shaft in steel, you know, they the weight range of those shafts had a variance. You know, you put a oh, yeah. you put them on a scale, and you go, wow, they all just don't weigh exactly the same, do they? They had different frequencies, you know, in tested in their raw form with a two hundred gram weight on the end of them, and they all had different, slightly different weights. So there, talk to me about shaft matching. I mean, is there uh, and shaft uh, variation there? Obviously, is going to play a role in what ends up happening when you've got a set of irons made from all these these shafts. Yeah, I mean, I think the nice thing, and I'm going to give the the shaft manufacturers some credit here, is the tolerances have gotten a lot better, um, especially when you're talking about aftermarket shafts. Um, we do not frequency shafts with club champion um we could but we we you know and we've got the ability to we've got the frequency machines but it's really not been something that's been uh super important because i feel like sometimes people get stuck on a certain number and when you frequency there's so many different variables right uh what is the clamp pressure are you frequencing just the butt are you frequencing the tip the mid what are we where are we measuring right and yeah where's the, the cog with, in the head that was on that shaft when you oh, were frequently yeah. analyzing it i mean you know yeah and 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 the biggest problem that the golf industry has there's no standards for mostly most of anything right you look at the standard length of golf clubs and they're all over the place dependent upon the manufacturer right. um but for me when it comes to matching and this is you know, to your point, you you said earlier, you know, logic would dictate that we would just do the same shaft in those three wood, five wood. Um, what I have found is probably 98% of the time is the same shaft in the fairway woods um, does not work uh, as the driver, right? Um, typically the driver I'm looking for you know, lower spinning, I'm looking for stability. I wanna go at this thing and the three wood is a slightly different swing, right? If we're going to get, you know, a little bit deeper with the track man numbers, I deal with the driver. I want to hit up on it just a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. If I can hit up on it, I can launch it higher with lower spin. I'm going to get some really awesome carry. I'm going to get a ton of roll. Um, with a fairway wood, 
if I hit up on it, that margin of error is really small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, You're ideally I'd want to hit down on it a little. Yeah, exactly. You know, you want to hit down on that three wood just a little bit. So typically I'm going to want a slightly stiffer tip section in my driver to keep that stability and, and to keep that spin rate down. And then in my three wood, I want something that's just a little bit softer in that tip section, um, effectively a slightly lower kick point, you know, to be able to get that ball up in the air a little bit and, and easier off the turf. So, you know, it's one of those things where I know when I see somebody walk in our door, if they've got the exact same shaft in driver three wood, five wood, there's some issue in that top end of the bag that we're going to have to address. And, um, yeah, I, I just don't necessarily, for me, I, I, unless you're talking irons. Yeah. I don't think we're needing to be in the exact same shafts irons. We do weight sort our iron shafts. So we make sure that every shaft is weighing out to the same way. We want to swing weight, all of those, we weight sort the heads. Um, you know, I've had players that have called us up and, and gone, Hey, I got my custom built set. I'm playing really awesome with it. But somebody asked me, you know, they took a look at my pings for instance, and they said I had different serial numbers on different heads. Yeah. Because we get a bunch of different heads from ping and we're going to wait sort them and we're going to make sure that they all match up to one another so that you're playing the most consistent set that you can. Just because a set of heads that came from ping all have the same serial number doesn't necessarily mean that they match up to one another. Yeah. You know, uh, and so we're going to be able to to manipulate that and really kind of take it deeper. Yeah, you're basically doing what um, a tour player is is having access to in terms of their club fitting for the, the recreational golfer, the golfer who's trying to become a better player, and you're just doing those things that are available to them to help them with with their equipment fitting. And I mean, it's not normally 100%. available unless you come see you guys for that level of fitting. So, a hundred percent. I actually had a tour player that came in. Um, and I, I, I looked at him and I said, you know, Hey, it's, it's a pleasure working with you. I, I don't understand why you're here. Yeah. And I said, you, you've got access to do it out on tour. And he goes, well, I'm on staff with so-and-so company. Um, I have to hide from my rep to go <laughs> see the, you know, to go see company B rep. And then I've got to hide from both of them to go see company C. He's like, I can just come see you for a few hours and just get it all done with. And I don't have to worry about hiding from anybody. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do it. Well, any players at that level, they're looking for the best equipment. I mean, they're, they're aware that there are some advantages that they can gain by having the technology. I, I know my son actually came to see you not too long ago and you know, I hate to admit it, his his bag is full of antiquated equipment from brand uh, brand A. And um, when you fit him to a driver and he hit a driver that you fitted him, I think, 377 yards on track, man. I've I shown that picture to a bunch of people. <laughs> I mean, he's been telling me for a while, Dad, if I just had this driver and this shaft, I would be hitting it a lot farther. So um, you know, thanks to you for for proving his point to me. I, I knew it was true, but you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm no longer sponsored by brand a myself. So that's the way it goes. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of technology out there and even the pros are aware of it there. Um, you know, I used to be around the champions tour a little bit when I was over at rock barn teaching and, you know, those guys were back and forth to the equipment trailer all week, changing shafts, grips, heads, whatever they thought was going to give them that, that next you know, accuracy or, or a couple more yards or whatever it was they were looking for. So, you know, it's there. You just have to be willing to, as I say, go down the rabbit hole and find it. Um, you know, I want to speak to a moment about my sponsor. My sponsor is um, really 
Really, really great guy. Uh, I want you to all go see Jeff Zarkowski at Clinic Drug over in Morganton. Uh, you're, you're from Morganton. Rob, you know how good Morganton is. Uh, this guy's amazing, oh, yeah. and he really has a great drugstore over there. So let me just give you a personal recommendation. Go see Jeff because your health matters at Clinic Drug. And thanks again to my sponsor. Uh, tell us about growing up. Rob, what, what was the first day you got into the game of golf? And, uh, you know, going back a little bit, I know, but uh, were you an athlete and played a lot of sports or just just golf? Tell us about growing up and how you found the game. You know, it's funny. I played, I played a lot of baseball growing up and um, got on the middle school team, and it was very talented. A lot of, a lot of really good players. I know a lot of the guys from that middle school team actually went and played collegiately uh, baseball, but I, I rode the bench. Uh, I was good enough to be on the team, but not good enough to play all the time. And, um, you know, ended up going after that year. I, I remember you've played at Silver Creek, I'm sure. Um, you know, I have I remember. I know it because I've seen really. videos of my students playing there, but I've not been up there yet. Super hilly. Um, and I remember this was in middle school, me and my buddy, it was the last day of school and we hopped in the car and he was like, I, his dad wanted to go hit golf balls at Silver Creek and he convinced us to go with him. And so we went to hit golf balls and just off the back of the ninth green to the left side of the range is a pond. And me and him started, you know, we bet each other a dollar that we could get it into the pond. Looking back at it now, it's only like 140 yards away, but we were wailing at drivers to get the golf balls to go into that pond. And uh, I, I think I won the dollar. And then from that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to play the sport that I can get the praise if I do well. And I, you know, take the heat if I don't. And yeah. so um, golf for me was one of those things where you, you get out of it what you put into it. And so I yep. kind of stayed into it since then. Yeah, I, I was kind of the same way. I love baseball. I was playing baseball. And it dawned on me because I had taken up golf at 11. I was playing baseball at 11, 12, and 13 uh, along with that. And it dawned on me one day that in golf, you don't have to run laps around this big old <laughs> baseball field. You know, you can walk. And I thought, I kind of like walking better than running these laps. And the other fact, as you mentioned, you know, baseball was I could have a great game, hit two home runs, throw two guys out at second, trying to steal and we lose 12 to seven and in golf, it was kind of up to you. You know, if you, if you played well and you practiced and prepared, you, you could, you could really do well. And if not, it was, all, it was all on you. So it was kind of similar for me as well. So, yeah. um, in trying to move this, uh, this club fitting topic into, um, you know, something else, talk about how the bag is kind of, uh, considered and how do you, um, how do you advise a player? Um, you know, okay, well, I get 14 clubs. The rule says I can have 14. What 14 do I need once I get them all fitted mm -hmm. to me? Uh, what's the makeup of my set and how do you approach that? So, uh, that is a question that nobody's asked me. And I really love that question. Um, honestly, one of my big numbers that I look at is land angle, um, on TrackMan. So land angle is the angle that that ball comes into the turf, right? Um, to me, that's a measure of control. And so a lot of what I'm doing at the top end of the bag is going to be looking at um, 
a little bit of distance gapping, but also that measurement of control, right? So yep. how is that golf ball coming down? So when we fit a six iron, that's what we use to, to fit our irons with. Um, 45 for me is my magic number. If you can hit a six iron and it's landing at 45 degrees, then I am comfortable with you ordering a, a five iron. If it's a little bit higher than 45 on that six iron, I'm probably comfortable with you hitting a four iron. But let's say that six iron never, you know, or barely gets above 40 degree land angle, then that four iron's probably going to land the exact same distance as the five and just roll out a little bit further. So to yep. me, it's a waste of money. Um, so I'm always looking like driver 32 to 38 is my ideal land angle number. And that's just telling me that I've hit the right launch and spin. Um, with a fairway wood, I want it to be high 30s, low 40s with hybrids pretty much the same kind of thing, or at least the three hybrid that we measure with. But the six iron, if if that 45 number, again, it's my, you know, kind of golden ticket a little bit. If it, it, It'll tell me where we need to be from a bag makeup wise. Um, so I had a, a gentleman in last week, you know, he was asking the same question. He walked in with a driver, a three wood, a three hybrid, and then four iron down. He walked out with driver, three wood, five wood, four hybrid, five hybrid, and six iron down. Because yep. there was no way those other, he was like, yeah, my forearm just helps me get under trees. And <laughs> I, I, you know, I feel like a lot of times when you go to some of our, or some of the big box stores, they'll say, hey, what do you want? And that's not a question that I necessarily want to leave to my players, unless they're a very, you know, low handicap player and they know what they want. Yeah. Um you know, and I agree with it. If I don't, I'll tell them I don't really agree with what you're thinking. But, sure. you know, I, I like to look at some of those numbers and explain what my rationale is as we go through it. Well, no, I'm glad you, you said that because that concurs with my thought process as well. When I had uh, a number of college players and have them on track, man, a lot of girls, you know, they're they're really good players. They hit the ball so good. But they have trouble with their lower club head speeds with their launch angles and their descent angles. And so when they get down in that five iron, four iron, and, you know, definitely not going to be able to hit a three iron typically and, and land it at an appropriate angle. I say, you're not going to be able to stop that four iron on a green. Let's say you have a front pin and your four iron yardage and that green's hard as a brick. How's this going to go for you? It's going to land. If you land the perfect shot at that pin, on a firm green, it's going to roll off the back of the green, descending at that shallow of an angle, you know? So it's, it's a useless Absolutely. golf club for them at that point. It's useless. Yep. And, so. and what I typically will, will explain is like, look, you know, this club goes 190 and they're like, yeah, that's what I need. And I go, but if there's a pond in front of the green and you have to carry it 170, you're toast, you know, it's not going to happen. Right. And can't, so can't that's why we got to talk about hybrids. Yeah. No, absolutely not. So, you know, we, we, I, I think you hit on something a little bit that I like to, to talk about as well, especially with some of the better juniors, better players. The reason why what we do and the reason why our company is so successful is because not everybody's the same, right? Um, you know, I, I, I have fit a lot of different people and I had one one in particular that came back and said, you know, I need to play this because this is what they're playing on the LPGA tour. Mm. It's like, yeah, but they're also swinging 95 and you're swinging 83. So right. we're not there yet. Right. Um, right. So that that's the unfortunate part about this whole thing is, you know, just because player X is playing this doesn't mean that that works for you. 
And that's what we try to make sure that we're just looking at the numbers. Yeah. I mean, you're validating it, like you said, with your measurement technology and, and that, that's what really matters. I mean, when this technology wasn't available, you'd go into the golf shop and you'd buy a new driver because you, you set it down in front of you, you go, oh, that looks really good. And I know so-and-so plays with me on, in my Saturday group and man, they're pounding that thing. I have to have that, you know, they're, they're buying a yep. driver that their buddy hits good on that alone, you know, and, and the fact that it's in the golf shop on sale or that they set it down and it looks good after they look at it. So, um, you know, it just makes no sense, but, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I know you fitted me, uh, for a putter uh, a number of years back and I just, oh, yeah. I, I can't thank you enough. That putter is still my main putter. It's in my bag and, and I still putt with it and love it and, uh, and show it to folks, uh, in putting lessons and explain, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but I had, uh, a number of purple peas engraved on the bottom of it. It's kind of one of my putting. Oh yeah. They questioned me about how many peas that was supposed to be. Yeah. Well, it can be <laughs> as many sure? as you was want it to be. You know, I think it was, I think it was six. Now to be honest with you, I can't remember, but yeah, it's just, I felt like there were a number of words that started with P that would, would be a good topic of conversation when I was talking about what it takes to, to be perfect at putting. So that's where the peas came from. And, and my favorite color purple was, was, uh, you know, on there as well. So anyway, your, your philosophy, has it changed much about fitting putters from, from where you came and how's it evolved and tell me how that might go as you fit someone for a new putter. Yeah. I mean, it's evolved a little bit. Um, you know, I, I am very grateful from where I was, um, learned a lot, um, there, but I, I think, you know, when we see, we use Sam Putt Lab to putt with. And so TrackMan is a Doppler radar device. It just sees everything that's going on. Um, Sam Putt Lab is sonar based. So there's a little device that clips onto your putter. And basically we're going to be able to look at your stroke. And for me, I want to find what putter best complements your stroke. Um, I still believe that aim is very important. Can you aim that putter? Does it look good to your eye? And does it match what your perception is? I believe that weight is vital having the correct weighting to the putter is going to help you make a consistent stroke and it's going to help you be able to control that green speed. Um, with that said, you know, if, if you break it down, ping has its approach to, to fitting a putter, right? It's based on the arc of your stroke. Do you have a strong arc? Do you have a weak arc? Well, for me, the problem with that a little bit is the, if the putter length is too long for you, your arc is naturally going to be stronger, right? Because it's not, fitted the proper way. Um, you know, there's, there's talking about the rotation of the face, talking about toe hang and things like that. I think that's pretty important. So for me, I've kind of taken it a little bit of a step further, not only how well do you aim it, but also is it, you know, uh, uh, the proper toe hang for a player? Does it also want to kind of be able to square up a little bit for them? Um, there's so many good, well, I'll say this, everybody makes good equipment. I don't think anybody gets into the business to make bad equipment. Right. Um, it's just making sure that the equipment works for what you're looking at, looking for it to do. Sure. Um, and so, you know, for me, yeah, I've kind of evolved a little bit. I don't want to focus just on one thing. Um, I want to make sure that when we are looking at different products out there, that we're able to hit on a, a variety of different things, because if I can answer more than just one question, I've got a much higher opportunity for success and making sure that you keep that putter in your bag. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I find it interesting that golfers, again, when they when they buy a putter, it's based on they set it down. They say, I think I can make a lot with that. It looks good, you know. And to them at that moment, you know, and then they'll, they're quick to change when they're not putting well. There's not a whole lot of diagnostics that goes into why they're not putting well. It's just let's immediately change putters or let's get a new grip. Let's get one of those really big, flat, you know, handed grips and we'll putt better. So it's just not it's not a lot of logic seemingly going into how they're getting suited to their equipment. And uh, I'm a big uh, I'm a big believer that's a big mistake for golfers to just switch around all the time. Just understand what they need to help them. And it might be that they have a putter that's too heavy or too light or too long. It could be something simple, but understand why um, that their putter doesn't suit them and why it's affecting their inability to control line uh, or speed uh, or get the ball rolling. And maybe it's, maybe it's loft. They're putting too much backspin on their putts, and it's just difficult for them to get the ball to stay on line and roll with the proper energy. Uh, so all those things. But you have Sam Putt Lab, and so you're getting a lot of data about their stroke and understanding that. It's going to help the golfer, no question. Oh, yeah. And you know what kind of dumbfounds me a little bit, Alan, is is what you were just talking about to this day still happens on tour. I mean, if you go out to, to almost any tour event on Monday or Tuesday, there are just staff bags around every putting green with putters just leaning up on them. I know. And every, I mean, unless you're one of the top players in the world, <laughs> you don't get fitted for your putter. You just go roll something and you're like, oh yeah, this one looks really, really good. And, and they put, maybe they put great that week, but it's because they're putting on, you know, Poana greens. And then right. the next week they take that putter that they just won the tournament with and they go putt on bent greens and they putt horribly. Right. right. And so it's just this seesaw up and down of, of, you know, maybe what works and what doesn't. I, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, yeah, you, you talk about some of the new Scotties or, or Bettinardi putters or, or different brands that, that we have. Yeah. They're expensive putters, but if you break it down in price per putt, you know, it, it's the cheapest golf club in your bag. You know, um, and and so I think it's one of the most important. You gotta you gotta take a look at. Yeah, I think in my uh, in my aim point education, we we looked at what a golfer could make of top twenty five money winner on the PGA Tour if they had a season where they were one stroke better per tournament for the entire season. It would be one point seven million more dollars earned that season just one stroke better per tournament so you're talking about a quarter of a stroke around and that's that's probably going to happen if they putt well or not you know it's going to be the difference so a lot of money if you can absolutely make a few more putts absolutely you know but yeah i've been at, at some events you know used to be web.com and now it's the corn ferry but i've been at some events with players and i i can't tell you how many times they'll walk by the bag where all the putters are leaned up on the putting green and just stop and take a look and you know, Christ said, leave that thing alone, man. You've got one in your bag. We need to work on, you know, don't, don't, don't be a, uh, a guy that looks like he's going down the aisles of a trade show, looking for free candy in the bowls on the table and just grab everything out there that's free. You know, it's like, no, leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hard to do. I, I like to test players just to see where they are with their skills. You know, what is it you're struggling with? Is it line? Is it speed? Is it your green reading skills? You know, what is the issue? And then we'll talk if the putter's going to help you there. And certainly it can. And in a lot of cases it will when it's properly fitted to you. Uh, 
Um, but uh, yeah, that's crazy, man. That's that's a and lot I think of great over the years. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think over the years I've seen players um, that will start to adapt because they have the wrong putter. Sure. Right. We're all athletes. So we want to try to figure out how do we fix it. So let's say you constantly pull everything to the left because your putter is doesn't have enough toe hang or you aim it improperly or whatever the problem may be. Oh, yeah. I've seen people that will that literally can't see anything anymore and, and don't know how to read a green and they'll underread everything or overread everything in order to compensate. Um, right. But uh, and, and I know you've seen that with Aimpoint, you know, but. It's an interesting one. I think you get fitted to the right product, putter, whatever it may be. I think everything starts to get a little better. It's easier to be able to, to do the instruction and, and, and go from there. And I think in, um, we haven't really talked much about wedges, but I know that's another topic. We could probably have an entire show just on wedges and their loft <laughs> and bounce. But let's touch on it a little bit because it's an important element in the bag. I mean, I remember years back, I would I was kind of an old school guy, and the way I thought, I would carry all the way through to the pitching wedge and a normal iron set. And then my next wedge was a sand wedge, and then when the lob wedge came out, I added one. Uh, but the gap wedge was one of those interesting clubs that I just steered around for a long time, and then eventually said, "What are you doing? You know, put a gap wedge mm -hmm. in your bag and gap your wedges. They're the most important clubs in the bag for scoring." So. I know that was a big change for me, but it just opened up the door of uh, consistent wedge play for me. And uh, I know players now, you know, they have their own philosophies about it, but, um, uh, you know, wedge wedge fitting is, is really, really significant for a golfer to score. It's, it's probably second after putting and driving. You know, you got to have uh, proper gapping, but you also need to understand those lofts and how they're going to gap the clubs and, and those bounces and how that's going to work into the ground when you're hitting different pitch shots and bunker shots around the green. So let's just touch on that a little bit for the, for the listener. What do they need to pay attention to when selecting lofts and bounce combinations? So, I mean, for me, whenever I'm fitting a wedge, this is, um, this is probably the one golf club where I give the, uh, the client a little bit more freedom and telling me what they want um, versus some of the other clubs, mainly in look and feel. Um, I feel like if you don't like the way a wedge looks, then it's never going to work for you. Um, you know, I grew up playing Vokey wedges, Cleveland wedges at that time when Roger Cleveland was designing them. I, it, to me, they looked very boxy and I just, I, I don't like that look. Um, and to this day, the Callaway wedges now, since he's designing those, they just don't, they just don't match my eye. So I, I want to make sure that a player likes the way that a, a, uh, a wedge looks. Um, but bounce, bounce is your resistance to digging. And, um, you know, I, I hear sometimes, well, okay, well, I need more bounce if I'm playing soft conditions, less bounce if I'm playing, you know, harder conditions. Yeah, I, I mean, it depends. You're, you're not changing your swing. You're not changing your angle of attack. You're not changing your shaft lean. So I think you need the same kind of bounce. Um, width on the bottom of the golf club though, I don't know if I can over bounce somebody as far as that angle is concerned, but I can over width somebody in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so to, to explain it to people, the Vokey K grind, it is an awesome wedge to be able to get out of a bunker. It's an awesome wedge to hit a straight face shot from a fairway. Um, but if you try to roll it open, since it has that extra width and you're trying to hit a flop shot, 
that trailing edge is going to lead or going to pop that leading edge up off the ground and you're not going to be able to hit a flop shot very well. Um, and so not off a tighter line. (laughs) Oh Lord, no. Um, and so for me, it's one of those things where a lot of our time talking about wedges is interviewing the player about what kind of shots they prefer to play. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I grew up playing at Mimosa Hills, so Honestly, Alan, I do not know how to hit a bump and run shot. I have yep. do not have that touch. I hit a flop shot pretty much everywhere. Um, and so for me, my 60 degree wedge is what I play around the greens. I've got a fairly high bounce, but I have a lot of relief off of the back to be able to roll it open and play whatever kind of shot I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really want to get into what does the, the player uh, prefer to do, and then we're going to figure out what kind of bounce angle they need in order to be able to have the best turf interaction possible. Yeah. Well, that's, that's critical information. And most of the time when I start this conversation with my golfers, the the term bounce is, is just so foreign to them. They really just don't have an, an awareness of what that's referring to. And it's, it's a difficult concept for the recreational golfer to understand, but it's a very important aspect of, of proper fitting. Um, you know, for players. So um, they need to come see Rob Gallagher over at Club Champion Golf and, and get all the answers. Rob, you've been great today, and it's been awesome to have you on, man. I, I miss you. I wish I could see you more often. You're down there in the busy world of Charlotte now. You're not up in the in the uh, foothills of North <laughs> Carolina where I am. But uh, let's do some rapid questions real quick as we wrap up here today. Just some questions that I asked sure. my, my golf uh, guests. And so how many hole-in-ones you had as a golfer? Just one. One. Wow. I'm glad I didn't go back to the cart and get the nine iron instead of the eight. (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite golf course? Oh, man. Um, I got to play Torrey last year. Torrey North, actually. Uh, That one was a lot of fun. The South course is where they do a lot of the stuff or where they play three out of the four rounds, but I actually enjoyed the North course a little better. Oh, so what's your favorite Masters sandwich? Ooh. You know, the pimento cheese, is it's just a classic. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that one. Uh, have you ever broken a golf club in a fit of anger? I mean, that's the multiple. I don't remember how many. <laughs> that's what got you into club fitting, you learn how to change your own shaft. Yeah. I tell you what, the second one that I did and I found out how much it cost, that it stopped real quick. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I remember that one myself. Um the best perk in your current job? Um, you know, there's some, there's some good discounts every once in a while. The downside is, is that I never get to play anymore. So I don't really get to use them that often. Yeah. Yeah, man. I resemble that remark for sure. Well, man, that's (laughs) been, that's been fantastic. Rob, I want to encourage all my listeners to come see you at club champion golf. I know, uh, They'll have to call and get an appointment down there. Give us some information on how to get in touch with you and where they can find information just on Club Champion Golf. Yeah, best thing, uh, clubchampiongolf.com. Go online. You can book the appointments directly from the website. Um, Get any info that that you need. Uh, You know, the nice part is, again, we're growing. So we're down here in Charlotte, but we just opened our Winston-Salem location uh, right at the Haynes Mall as well. So We've got places uh, all over the country and, and, you know, if you're listening from all over the place, Hey, you know, check it out. There's probably one near yours, one near you as well. Very good. Rob, thank you again so much for being with us. You've been listening to Rob Gallagher talk about getting the proper fit 
in your golf bag. Listen, I encourage you to do that and do it with Club Champion Golf. If you can find one in your area, if not, look them up online at clubchampiongolf.com. Thanks again, Rob. We'll see everyone next time on The Forecast.